I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche with five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you be surprised at the info you get Is by letting them talk So I'm letting them talk Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science to let them and talk up their body. Another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets. Hello and welcome to JK Plus One. I am not your host, PTF. He he's at home trying to fix his Wi-Fi. He he was uh he was he was yelling at me all uh, all morning about his Wi-Fi not working and uh telling me that uh he's got this booster. He doesn't know what to do. I'm gonna have to help him, I think. I am your host, Jonathan Kinchin. And uh, we took, a, we took, a, we had, we didn't have a choice. We had to take a week off the sale on Monday night. I usually record these on Tuesday and I, full disclosure, it's, it's just, I, I barely could get out of bed on Tuesday. So there's no way I was going to be able to record a podcast, not to mention everyone in racing also was likely in the same predicament that I found myself in. So who was I going to talk to? Uh, I couldn't talk. There was no one to talk to. So we decided to take a, take a week off. We're back back at it again. And, uh, I, I caught up with my friend, Jack Sisterson, uh, a lot of fun. Some it's, it's a lot of times with these situations is you become friendly with people, but then you don't really get their full story. And I, and I had no idea a lot of things about Jack, uh, the, the, how he met Doug O'Neill to become his assistant. We talk about, which is hilarious. I had no idea that he was a college athlete here in, in the U S uh, these are all things that I wasn't aware of. And so we had a bunch of fun, uh, a bunch of fun talking and, and his true timber story with, with Kendrick you'll also enjoy that's coming up. Um, want to remind everyone, uh, our friends at Qatar racing, this wouldn't be possible without Sheikh Fahad and the team at Qatar racing. Um, uh, ever so mischievous. I don't remember that was that we haven't talked since that ever so mischievous. I, I've been telling you from the start, they had let us know that they liked ever so mischievous. And then he, uh, had a couple of good races, and then he, uh, he got the job done here at Saratoga um, and uh, with Tyler Gaffleone. And so we want to say congratulations to our friends at Qatar Racing. And I'm sure they've got uh, a ton more to offer throughout uh, the rest of the meet. I think, I think Sheikh Fahad is off to, to France to, to, to the sale to our, our con to buy some, some more horses. So uh, best of luck to them in their bidding as well. Um, follow, subscribe, retweet tweet comments you know all the things it's uh it's it's helpful for us here in the money media jk plus one and like i said our friends at qatar racing all right let's get into it here is my friend jack sisterson jack what's going on hey jonathan everything all right yeah you know i'm just uh it's I'm in the middle of that, uh, and I'm sure you've experienced it at Del Mar and, and also here at Saratoga. I'm in the middle of that kind of like, okay, I was, I've was i been waiting 46 weeks for this to come up. The first four weeks, I go 22 and change right out of the gate, going a mile and a quarter, and then I just have to kind of pull up a little bit because I, I just I wear myself out with uh, with the social, the social aspect of uh, Del Mar and Saratoga. Oh, 100%. I think once you get through the sales week, it's so you can take a like a deep kind of, oh, it's finally maybe midsummer. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but there's so much more to look forward to, isn't there? You yeah, know, that's, how good... that's the tricky part. Like, I don't want it to be over, and, but uh, like, man, it takes its toll on you. <laughs> it does, uh, but there's so much excitement going around. And obviously, the sales just finishing and all, you know, the 
the big insignia's coming up and the the big owners and such a buzz around the whole sales ground and that's what racing should be like, shouldn't it? And yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, the guys are all flying to Deauville tonight and it's that's gonna be a fun sale for them and they come back and there's so much more racing to look forward to. But like you said, it's like, God, when does it ever end? It's um, it's tiresome, but it's enjoyable at the same time. Did you uh, did you get anything done at the New York bread sale? No, we didn't. Um, I, what we're trying to create our business model at the moment is proven horses. You know, yearlings is great, but you don't see them for a full year. So we try to focus at the moment, kind of bringing horses over from Europe, you know, they do well on the grass here. And, you know, as we grow and move forward, we'll dive into the early market. But there's a time and a place for that in the, in the near future. Jack, you know, I think most people, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into your time uh, as an assistant with Doug O'Neill. But I think as of late, you know, recently, um, people knew you and, and a lot of your grade one success has come as, was, as a private trainer for Calumet. You've since kind of opened up to, to having horses for other people. How did the Calumet thing get started in the first place? God, again, it's a very humbling position I was put in because, you know, you see the history or read the history behind the Calumet farm and, you know, coming over from England, I just read, you know, the, the success of farms like that. And I was approached by them and jumped at that opportunity and I'm forever in debt to Calumet because that was a massive stepping stone for me and my career to get going because there's so much involved in getting started and knowing the right people. And I think the biggest thing, a, a lot, I'd say 99% of the trainers would agree with me would be a financial, a financial aspect of getting started as well. And Calumet supported me and, you know, here we are chatting now and we've had a little success together and hopefully there's more to come. What was kind of in your decision? Was it, was it always kind of a plan or, or what was in your decision to, to kind of open back up to, to be public, to have horses for, for other operations just outside of Calumet? I think, you know, as we had a little success, we were getting approached by other owners if we could have one or two outside horses for other people. And um, we sat down as a farm and thought, you know, the right move would be to try and grow myself and, that's how we kind of ultimately came around to do that. Uh, and, you know, it's going great so far. And, um, you know, we look forward to the futures. A lot of exciting things happening. So, but again, look back and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll be forever in debt to Calumet for that stepping zone to get me to where I am now. So I've seen a couple of things in, in uh, you, you, you originally in the game, you wanted to be a jockey. Like, was your family <laughs> overly involved? How, how did that come about? I remember just going to the races at a young age, more so jumping Jonathan back home. I loved the jumping and I just watch, I wake up, you know, every Saturday morning and watch the morning line show and I've got good friends back there that are involved and and started riding at somewhat of a young age, but I was a bad rider. I was pretty small growing up. Um, so I thought, oh, you know what, I'd love to be a jockey and that dream kind of shattered when I started to grow, but I was somewhat better at soccer than riding and um, soccer kind of took over from there and went to the University of Louisville on a soccer scholarship. Was, so that I, I, that I didn't know that until like, you know, I usually do like a little bit of research before I jump on with someone just to make sure I don't miss anything good. I had no idea that 
in fact, when I first Googled your name, it said like Jack Sisterson, Louisville soccer. I was like, oh, that's funny. There's another Jack Sisterson. And then I clicked on it and I saw, I saw the picture from 2006. So was it strategic to go to Louisville to play soccer because you knew you could do the equine business program too? Or was that kind of secondary? How did all that work? hundred percent. Yeah. When I flew to Louisville on an official visit, I didn't know Jonathan Churchill Downs was right basically in the campus. And I wasn't so much good at school, but wanted to get some sort of an education and getting an education in something that I loved and wanted to career. And it was a no brainer for me and playing soccer at the same time. Um, it was really, a, I lived an American dream and I look back now and the connections I've met and, you know, the places I've seen, we used to fly all over America and I couldn't have, you know, been able to afford that just kind of growing up. And, uh, it was brilliant, Jonathan. The experiences we had, and the, the teammates, and the friends, and still to this day, that you know, I have a lot of friends all over America that we played soccer, went to school with, and um, it was actually my first introduction into into American racing was two thousand seven through Gary Stevens, who, who was best friends with Michael McCarthy, aka Whitey, who was Todd's assistant at Churchill at the time. So I um, contacted Gary. I said, Gary, I really want to get into to racing in America. and But I've got four years of school left. He said, meet me at Churchill Downs at five o'clock tomorrow morning. I said, at five o'clock, that's a bit early. He said, meet me there at the front gate, jump in my car, I'll drive you back to a barn and I'll get you a job. Met him at five o'clock, went to Todd Pletcher's bar barn, met um, Michael, started hot walking for Todd. That was the year that... Rags to Riches won. He had five in the Kentucky Derby, I think. Was Circular Key the favourite? I can't remember. Street Sense won it that year. But Curl and Ryan, Hardspun, Scat Daddy. And it was just an ex incredible introduction for me at, at a young age, wanting a career, getting an introduction to somebody like Todd Pletcher that basically runs his operation like a Fortune 500 company. And I was like, wow, this is what I want to do. Did you, so I guess, were you a freshman at that point or how? I was, no, I was a sophomore, was I a sophomore? Sophomore junior. No, I was a sophomore, Jonathan. And didn't have a car. I used to walk from a dorm room on 4th Street all the way down. I worked, woke up at three o'clock, didn't have money to buy a car, walked to work, came back. They let me leave sort of an hour-ish early to go work out during um, summer school and then walk back um, to Churchill. Oh, my God. So, so you, would, you would get up in the morning, go to the track, hot walk, go to soccer practice or summer school or whatever, and then you'd go back in yeah. the afternoons? Go back, yeah. And it was, that, it was a dream come true, John. I mean, the, the horses, I think English Channel was there at the time. And looking back now that, working for Calumet, I've had a lot of English channels to train and never in a million years would I've expected to be in that position, walking to work, kind of paycheck to paycheck to, you know, to grow. And I think it just goes to show if you put your head down and work and be around the right, right type of people, opportunities do arise.
How, did you just randomly reach out to Gary, or how did you? Did you no, I met Gary. I met Gary, I think, through Jill Byrne, who was working. I knew Pat Byrne at the time, and met Gary through Jill Byrne. Until the day Gary and I are close and we chat, and um, I actually saw Gary yesterday afternoon. Um, but we'll always look back and say, "Do you remember this?" And it was, I mean, a long time ago, but um, brilliant times, Jonathan. It, it was just. For me, you know, you look at the size of England, which is probably the size of a, a smaller state in America, to be living in this massive country with all these opportunities, it's really a dream come true. How long did you did you do how long how many how long did you do that? The 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 hot walking for, for Todd, well, soccer, hot walking for Todd. I was I graduated four years at Louisville. The reason being is because I stayed and did summer school there. Um, I struggled during school. I wasn't the smartest, but we got it done somehow. I think the, <laughs> through the athletic department, they provided some pretty smart tutors that would help us along the way. Um, somehow I got that done. And then after that, made my way out to California. And um, that was another, you know, unbelievable experience been out there. The, um, completely different world, as you know, but so fun, so energetic um so expensive but you live you live and learn don't you um so yeah we've we've had a fun road to get to where we are now where we are now so i, I the soccer thing i think is 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 interesting did you what what, what position did you play everywhere um growing up um i wanted to be center forward but i could never score and then midfield but I wasn't fit enough so I was kind of put I was as I grew I was sort of center half and I was kind of that slow person that would just jump up for headers and things like that so never <laughs> want to be never want to be a goalkeeper though that was the only thing if you were the goalkeeper at a young age you're like oh this kid's too useless to do anything so <laughs> I never wanted to do that did you play um, um... Did you play a lot? I mean, how did you start yeah. at all at Louisville? Like how, or how many years yeah, did you start at Louisville? We, for four years. Actually, I've redshirted my first year. Um, and then my last year, um, I actually couldn't play because I had two knee operations. And you'd laugh at this. Um, I was introduced to the football team and went over there and um, tried to kick my last year. And it was, it was pretty fun doing that. Um, the, again, the, the sport itself, I'm talking about American football here, is such an unbelievable sport that so much is put into that I could sit here for hours and explain the attention to detail of that sport, which I, growing up in England, you just put on the TV and you think there's about 25 men running around the field just chasing after each other, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we tried to do that, and um, it was um, unbelievable, really. Um, they were going, the, the season that I couldn't play soccer, and I went over to the football team, they were, I, I think, ranked first or second in the country. Um, was, it when, the, was, that, was that when, I'm trying to remember who was there then. I Brian remember when they had a nice a, little run. Yeah, Brian Brom was the quarterback um, yes, at yes, the time. Yes. And uh, Coach Craig thought was the coach. Um, but then things changed and um, 
you know, didn't have a successful season. And but there's they've a great um, athletic program at Louisville. You know, I met Coach Patino um, when he was there for basketball, and um, actually trained for him now, which we look back now and laugh that he found out at the time when I was hot walking for Todd, someone told him, you know, there's a soccer player that's hot walking at Churchill Downs. He said, who is it? He said, a guy called Jack Sisterson. So coach Patino contacted um, the soccer coach. He said, do you mind if you have Jack come over and chat to me? And I didn't know how big basketball was. I didn't have a clue about basketball. Still don't have a clue about basketball, but don't. It's massive. And he's one of the successful basketball coaches. So here I am trundling over to this unbelievable arena. I sit down and um, quite intimidating man. And Jack, he said, I said, yes, coach. He said, can you do me a favor? Said, yeah, of course, of course, coach. He said, do not give any of my basketball players any tips. And I looked at him and he said, that's it. And I, I said, that's it? He said, yes. And I had to walk out. And and we look back down and we laugh about it. And he still kind of jokes around. He said, don't give them any tips. Oh, um, my God. No, um, it was an unbelievable four years at school. And the people I met along the way and still love to go back, you know, that Kentucky Derby week, as you know better than anyone, is such a fun week to go back. And the excitement and it's just, you know, add a bit of fun. For me and, you know, my, you know, um, teammates, we all meet up that week. And just because we had so much fun the four years of being at school there. Yeah, it's a nice little homecoming for you. So so you graduate. Um, and then how did you, did, was was Doug your first job in California? Or did you go to California yeah, was, and then find Doug? Went to California, then found Doug. Um, and it was so random how I met Doug because I was at Santa Anita and Hollywood Park at the time was open and um, I was looking for a place to rent out there and oh, it, was, it was intimidating looking at the prices and I sort of googled rentals in kind of the west side area which Santa Monica places like that and couldn't really afford anything and the first thing that came up on the google search was a place called west side rentals so clicked on that and looked at all these listings, blah, 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 and then went to Hollywood Park. I think it was a, when bike racing ones at, at Hollywood Park and, you know, the horses were uh, walking around the paddock and he's, the jockeys come out to the jock's room and it might have been Tyler Bears or somebody. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what jockey it was, but he had a red set of silks on with, west side rentals i was like wait a minute that's the the listing website that i've just been looking on for rentals so this jockey walks out and walks up to doug and doug's chatting and typical doug fist pumping and this is the first image i had of doug and still to this day the first time i see that he'll fist pump anybody and i'm like god i wonder what connection doug has with west side rentals the the listing website so I went back home and looked it up and Mark Verge owned Westside Rentals, owned horses with Doug, was Doug's best friend in high school growing up. So I reached out to Mark, not necessarily for a job, but for a rental. It's like, hey, I'm stuck. I need a rental, blah, blah, blah. I can't really afford something in Santa Monica. 
I sent an email to his info at westsiderentals.com. Two seconds later, I get a phone call. Hey, Jack, it's Mark Verge. Can you come to my um, office in Santa Monica? I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Drove over there. I had no interest in talking about uh, rentals. He said, do you like horses? I said, I love horses, blah, blah, blah. The rest is history. He introduced me to Doug. I started working for Doug in 2011. My first time at Hollywood Park was when I'll have another one first time out going four and a half furlongs with Joel Vazario riding and then got to travel with him, with Nyquist, with Golden Sense. And to this day that we all look back and laugh, said, how funny was it how I met Doug through Mark looking for a rental place in, in Santa Monica. That's how I met Doug. That's crazy. That's wild. Yeah. I, 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 I thought maybe you just like, you know, you know, someone threw Todd and da, 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 and you met and you went out no. there. And... No, it was simply through a website and going, going racing and seeing. It was just all came, you know, it was a timing thing as well. I was looking for a place. I'd just been on that West Side Rentals website. And then the jockey walks out with the silks on West Side Rentals, walks up to Doug. I was like, oh, I wonder what connection they have. And went back on the website and Mark Verge introduced me to Doug and, you know, we spent some great years together um, and learned a lot from Doug and uh, the, the horses that I was able to tra travel with, Jonathan, at a young age was unbelievable. Um, you know, it started with I'll Have Another and that was so fun winning the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness and unfortunately what happened in the Belmont, but... Um, Doug, the Reddins are such a big supporter of the sport. They all sat us down at Belmont at the time and said, guys, if someone would have said to you, going into this trip, we're going to win the Kentucky Derby, would we have took it? Everybody said yes. So he said, let's be grateful for what happened, not what could have happened. Well, you know, especially for you, right? It's like, when you're when you're you know you're you're coming up in your career and you've 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 got this derby winner that you've got to help be a part of and you've got this preakness winner i mean i, I would think especially because at a young age too I, I mean i also think that like through life and through experience and through loss and i mean even you know even death of family members and death of friends and you know it kind of puts things into perspective as you go through life so when you have the disappointment that you that you guys had with all have another you know, a couple of days before the Belmont going for a triple crown, you know, I, I feel like an older person can handle that better. Do, do you remember? I mean, do you remember how you handled it? Where, do you remember where you were when you got the news? Um, what were your thoughts? What are your, your memories of that moment? Well, gut-wrenching to the immediate feeling was, um, you know, you try to describe it. It's kind of words can't describe the feeling because you're on such a high and then such a low at the same time. Um, you know, you you feel for, you know, the, the grooms and, you know, the the guys that really spend the 24-7 with, you know, the likes of I'll have, have another. And, and there was so much excitement because when was the last time a potential Triple Crown winner was? It would, would have been before, obviously, 
I don't have another was. Must have been Big Brown. Uh, must have been the last time, which was two thousand and eight. So yeah. there, that was what I'll have another was two thousand and twelve. So there was a little bit 12. of a four year gap. But even before Big Brown, I feel like it was a while. Right, and I think he was four to five morning light. So you you think you're four to five in a race, you should be winning, and you know there was so much buzz going around the town that. <laughs> You know, you look at the name, I'll have another, and everybody loved the name. I mean, you probably drank too much because of I'll have another. Every restaurant you went to, someone would shout, I'll have another, and send a drink over to you. Okay, I'll have another, I'll have another. For the whole Triple Crown thing, the name, I'll have another, was said, said quite a few times. That, um, but now going back to your question, Jonathan, that when... You know, Doug sat us down and said, you know, the right thing for the horse is not to run. It, uh, we didn't know what to say, to be honest. You get so far and you're so close and it's right there at your fingertips. And you say, surely this can't happen. But thanks to Doug and the Reddams, they had to do what's best for the horse and they did. And, um, you know, I think Union Rags won it that year. Yeah. And the Reddams had bought all the tickets for... And it, I can't explain how good owners the Redhams were throughout the whole thing of taking care of the staff because they had had tickets, they had dinners, they paid for everything. There wasn't anything that they did not provide throughout that whole trip. And from the outside person looking in, people might just say, well, you just wake up and go to the barn. We had drivers set up, we had accommodation at each Louisville, Baltimore, New York, the best of the best. And I remember the Redham sitting down and said, guys, you know, it isn't meant to be for us, but there's X amount of horses still to compete in that Belmont Stakes this afternoon. Let's all go over there and support them and celebrate what I'll have another's done. And we, we went racing that afternoon and had a great time. And, you know, we, we tried to look back at the positive, not the negative. And um, so much fun, John. It was unbelievable. Um, and you know, the, we got back home and, you know, you prayed it I'll have another and you were proud of his accomplishments and, um, it just makes you, you've experienced that at that level. That's all you want. It's like flying first class. Once you're in first class and you go back to the bus, you're like, well, what's the point in that? <laughs> I want to be at the highest level now. And it's the reason we wake up seven days a week, three o'clock every morning for that potential dream to be in that spot and um it might never happen but guess what we do it because we love it and there's it's that dream at stake that keeps us going jack remind me you know i i'm sure that's written somewhere but you know we're far enough away remind me what the issue was what, what was the issue with i'll have another and, and you say it as if like at, you, you kind of hinted to it as if if Doug really wanted to persevere that it wouldn't have been outside the realm of possibility. He could have ran. I'd say 99% of the horses, you know, could have ran. And he had a small little profile on his tendon um, to take a risk at the highest level with so much involved and so much media and things like that. Doug couldn't take the chance and he was retired just because of that. Um, it was a very minor thing, but... Um, at that sort of level and at that sort of caliber of horse, um, they did the right thing. 
And then, you know, you fast forward a couple of years and well, funny, I, well, let me back up before we go to Nyquist. And, you know, I'm, I plan to have Doug on this one time and at some point and, and, and I'll tell him this story too. And I've told him, him, I told him privately, but it's a funny story with I'll have another in 2012, you know, my first derby I ever went to was 2009. It's the first derby I went to mind that bird one. It was my friend and Robert Chow and I, we went and we, that was a year, you know, we were, we were broke and I, we stayed at an extended stay hotel because for a week you could get a hotel for $180, but we just left, basically we just left early. And it was like one of the scariest places I ever stayed. And then two years (laughs) after that, one of the years we stayed at a, we rented a, an apartment from a Louisville student and slept in a twin size bed. We shared a twin size bed, like, you know, like feet to like feet to head him and I did (laughs) just, just and then the first year that we ever stayed at the Galt house was the year that I'll have another one. And I remember just a huge fan at the time. I had no involvement in anything, just a huge fan of racing and I saw Doug and I remember getting up the courage to go up to him and tell him good luck. But after I shook his hand and said, good luck, I was like, Oh, why did I tell him good luck? I don't want, I'll have another to win. I liked, I like boating. <laughs> and now I've given this man good luck and I want, but I wanted to shake his hand. And so I, I told him the story that when, when he, when he beat me, I blamed myself um, for running down, running down Bodie Meister in the stretch. That's funny that, you know, that was the biggest worry going into the, the preakness, you know, with the cut back in distance and Bordy Meister obviously getting a loose lead, kind of how it played out in the preakness. How would I have another overcome that? And I kind of, when I sit around and have a couple of minutes, I always sort of go on YouTube and watch that stretch run of I'll have another in Bordy Meister. It's pretty exciting watching. Those are the types, of, you know, the the stretch deals that you want in those types of races that um, it makes it so exciting for the public, doesn't it? Oh, I thought for sure. I, I was, I was, and still now, even though I'm, I'm significantly more well-seasoned and I've, I've seen more things and I have more experience and I'm a, I'm a better handicapper and horse player than I was in 2012. I still would, I still would play Bodemeister in the pre sure, based yeah. off of what happened in the Derby. And that's why it's still so impressive to me how well I'll have man. another ran that day. I should know this, but I haven't. Was he favorite for the Preakness, or was it Body Meister might have been? I think uh, so. I have it right here in front of me. Uh, I'll have yeah. another. Was was three to one, and Body Meister. I mean, it has to be. I would. Body Meister was. It's coming. He was. Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, like two to one, a little bit less than two yeah. to one. He was like six to eight to five, seven to six to five, yes. eight to five. So gone. Yeah, I think a lot of the public had obviously picked Body Meister because of the speed and him cutting back and trip. So, um, thankfully, um, you know the result um, worked out our way. But it was um, it was fun. It's always fun to go to Baltimore, isn't it? I actually went last year. Was my first Preakness I'd ever gone to, but I I did enjoy it. It was a lot of fun. It's a it's yeah. um. It's a cool, it's a cool, it's hard as hell to get out of there after the races, but um, Nyquist, now when you, you were, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, go back no, to no, the, no, you your, got first, it. You your first Kentucky Derby. Did you have the all button that year when mine that bird won or not? Oh my God, absolutely Julie not. Julie hit I, the all button. Oh, come no, on. No, who did I bet? I don't even remember who I bet that year. 
it wasn't Pioneer of the Nile. Maybe it was Musket Man is who I ended up playing. But no, I didn't have the I didn't have the all button at all. And it's like and it's weird too because like you you know it's just like you you the Derby when you when you lose the Derby as a horse player, there's all this buildup for six months. It really takes the wind out of your sails. And when a horse like that wins, it makes it even worse. You're like, what? Why did I spend seven months caring about this day and this race, and then mine okay. that bird beats me, and I got to go back to this extended stay hotel where I'm probably <laughs> get kidnapped? It was. Um, I know, but for Max, a horse, but it's probably quite hard going all in the Kentucky Derby because it'd be so expensive, wouldn't it? Yeah, and it's it's it, it kind of defeats the purpose of like it being such a great situation. Yeah, exactly. And we yeah. also know that there's ten horses that can't win. Right. And and yes, I say that. And since 2008, since I've paid a lot of attention, there has been two of those horses that I said can't win that did Rich Strike and um, and mind that bird. But the rest of them that have won, they've all made a level of sense even the big price one for sure yeah you know even i'll have another made sense yeah even animal kingdom made sense um yeah you know they make sense it's just those two horses made zero sense yeah i think animal kingdom when he won he was kind of the buzz also how well he was training around the backside going into the race yep yep that was one of those deals where he they i remember graham worked him on the dirt and it was like that was when I started to really realize that when people say whoever works the best leading up to the Derby usually runs well, he was like one of yeah. those main examples, and he did. He ran he ran outstanding that day. Um, yeah, he did. What a, what a good horse he was. For sure, yeah, he was. Um, did he? Did he? No, was he? Yeah, he did. Did Oxbow? No, that was Shackleford. Shackleford beat him. Oxbow was later. Were you? Yeah, Oxbow beat. Oxbow beat Golden Sense in the Preakness. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah. Wow, that's that's kind of full circle for you, huh? Yeah, exactly. Know. You know, it's funny that Golden, uh, Golden Sense was such a fast horse. He's weird. If you took him back, he had no interest. He, he just wouldn't be comfortable. You put him on the lead, like when he won those two Breeders' Cup miles, he goes fast as he could, could as far as he could, and kind of hung on. The instructions were he was supposed to make the lead in the Preakness. Guess who won? Gary Stevens and Oxbow went wire to wire and beat Golden Sense. So, kind of funny looking back at how it all works out. Yeah, that's crazy. And then, you know, the obviously the connection with Oxbow and, and Calumet, who you um, yeah. obviously trained for. Um, did, you, did you think Golden Sense had a chance in that Kentucky Derby or were you concerned oh, about 100%. The distance in the Kentucky Derby, and there's such a big field, and him making the lead, you know, when you break, it's kind of you got to find your trip and going into that first turn. And he didn't, and he, he just wasn't a comfortable horse if he didn't make the lead. And if you go back and look at all his his good races, which obviously was the Breeders' Cup mile, he went wire to wire and went fast. And, you know, why take speed out of a horse when he has it? And, you know, Doug noticed that pretty quick. and um, utilized the speed in, in the Breeders' Cup miles, and and they were pretty impressive wins. Yeah, I mean, even his Met Mile when he lost to Palace Malice was outstanding. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was. It was. And, you know, when he broke his win at Delmar, that, he was such a fun horse to be around. I remember at Hollywood Park, he was working on the synthetic track there, and I I wasn't there, but I was maybe at Santa Anita, and... Doug called 
after training one day, just chatting about things. Like, God, we've got that. At the time, we've got this cult by Inter Mischief, and Inter Mischief stood for like five grand. And Golden Sense, he was out of a banker's goal, mate. Didn't really have much pedigree. Um, Dennis bought him for 62, June OBS. And he said, God, that's the best work I've seen since Stevie Wonderboy won the Breeders' Cup juvenile. I said, what was? He said, God, this two-year-old caught by Inter Mischief. It was incredible. I think we're going to have some fun with him moving forward. So the whole summer, he ran towards the end of Del Mar. But you know how it goes when horses work out the gate and the gate crew sees and the clock see. This was a, the most anticipated horse to debut at Del Mar. And sure enough, when he won, he got a TDM rising star. Um, Kevin Krigger rode him. And this is how much Doug thought of Golden Sense. He put him on a plane and sent him over to run him in Champagne and was second to Shanghai Bobby. It was probably more seasons at the time. Golden Sense went from five and a half at Delmar to Belmont. Um, There's a lot to ask of him, but ran a really good second. And then they skipped the Breeders' Cup that year to Optical to the um, Delta Jackpot, which was a million dollars. And he won that. And um, such an incredibly fast horse, um, Jonathan. Um, probably one of the fastest horses, naturally fastest horses I've ever been around. Um, he was just um, a pure athlete. You know, you get fast horses and, you know, over a certain distance, but he could carry, carry his speed over that mile. And he was a fun, a fun horse to be around. Did, did you guys all along know, were you, were you high on Nyquist all along? Cause I, I feel like maybe I'm wrong. I just felt like he kind of, just kind of was never overly flashy, but he just kept winning never. races. So he, Dennis bought him from the Miami sale at the time and paid three or 400 for him. And the first day he got off the van at Santa Anita, it was beautiful, athletic, great mind to him. He walked into the barn with say, three, four, five other two-year-olds you know, the two-year-olds that get a bit starstruck seeing things for the first time. This horse dropped his head, lengthened his walk, walked into that barn like he owned the place. And he had that presence from day one. And I remember walking down to the track. I was on the pony, Johnny Hugh Gossie, who galloped him every day, um, took him to the track, went around. I forget what he did the first day of training. Might have jogged two or something like that. And he said, God, this horse has got such a good mind. And as we picked up his training, nothing phased him. I mean, you could put a bomb off in front of him. He'd just stand there and say, is that it? And remember him debuting at Santa Anita and Pete Miller had, you know, he had a two-year-old that was a good second, first time out that was, I think, odds on. I must go back and look at that. And I, I want to say Nyquist drew the rail. It was definitely inside of the Pete Miller, which, as you know, yeah. probably getting pressure down on the rail, being a two-year-old, you usually back out of there. And he kept going for, like at the quarter pole, we got, okay, it's time for him to back out. And he kept going forward and kept fighting and fighting. And bam, he won. I think the time was like 56 and chair. 56.43, 56.43. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, that's a pretty fast time. And, you know, 
potentially we might have something here and you know been a son of uncle mo and he's by the right stallion and lucked apart and um doug and the reddens managed him brilliantly to to get to be you know champion two-year-old and you know you you go forward and win in the kentucky derby but like you said he was never flashy jonathan even in his works in the morning you know he just only do enough to to please if that makes sense he wasn't yeah. going to to run off and break his maiden by 10 at golden sense did um he just did enough to to get by and um probably was, was he a little little underrated or not i can't really was, uh, what, what price was he in the juvenile I remember he, Keenan, was he, got, he was four, out. He's, he was nine to two. But the thing about yeah. it is, is like, you know, we have some, I, I was talking to a friend, have some good notes that was there negative info about him leading up to the juvenile? Was he like training funny? Something happened. Like, I feel like there was like a buzz about him that wasn't like a positive buzz that might've got people off. I don't, I don't remember. Which, what it you was. know, it's funny that <laughs> I was on the pony on the back, like waiting for him as he pulled up, you know, galloping. And he kind of took a funny step, and as horses do, and oh, Rubes, oh, Nyquist took a funny step, and then it rained one day, and we took him down to the training track at Keeneland. Everyone's like, oh, guess what? Nyquist took a funny step, and he's not training today. But we went down to the, because it was a pretty rainy week, I believe, leading up to the Breeders' Cup in Lexington. So kind of that was the buzz going around there. And no, he was a sound horse um, the majority of the time. Um, you know, we because he won won at the juvenile after that race. I think it was announced that Dali had bought him after the juvenile. They kind of wanted kind of to map out a three year old campaign for him. Obviously, the Kentucky Derby worked back, and you know, you, people want to get two, three. I don't know how many preps trainers prefer to get into a Kentucky Derby horse, but because of the success Doug had with I'll have another and the Reddams, Doug asked, can I just put two preps in him? Because he was bought at the Miami sale, Gulfstream offered a bonus if a horse was sold out of that Miami sale and won the Florida Derby, you were entitled to a bonus. And they kind of said, well, let's get a prep in for the Florida Derby. And if he was to win that, let's send him back to Keenan because he did so well and Keenan's such a beautiful place to train a horse from. Let's train him there for five weeks and lead him over to Churchill. Didn't go to Churchill until the week of the race and did all his main work at at Keenan leading up to the Kentucky Derby. God, I mean, just looking at his past performances, you had that San Vicente was fast, then the Florida Derby, and then he had the time to the Derby, ran fast. And then I'm, 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 do you think it was the racetrack at the Preakness that, that cost him? He went so quick. I mean, how fast? And I forget, it was another college. Was it Uncle Lino or Uncle? What? They went. They were a Gary Sherlock horse, I think. Let me have a look. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm getting it. 2016 Preakness stakes. Let's see who was in there. I know it's set up. It's flying see. up front. Let's see. Um, is it would Uncle have something? Been Uncle Lino, yep. Yeah, Uncle Lino. They were, and how fast? What was I don't see the fraction. It's the final time where I'm looking on Wikipedia. 
yeah, he, they kind of dueled up front, and I don't necessarily think it was the the track that got him beat. It was how quick he went early, and yeah. you know he he got sick. We couldn't ship him up to Belmont. He got sick. We pulled the blood, and you know I actually stayed at Pimlico with him for a few weeks until we could fly him back to California. And after that, Jonathan, he he wasn't the same horse, but um, what a profile he built for himself leading up to that. I don't think he he wasn't favoured in the Florida Derby, was he? Uh, he, I, he well, it depends was. on who else was in there. He was he was uh, I mean, he was basically even money. Let's see if let's see. Uh, I don't. I mean, I guess there could have been like some Todd Pletcher freak that was like was like odds on. Um, 2016. I think it was Kieran, Kieran McLaughlin's. Um, it was a tappet horse. I want to say. Oh, Mohamed. Yes, wasn't he favorite? You know, not? you might be right. Let's see here. Uh, pulling it up. I, it makes sense that they might have bet Mohamed. Um, where's the chart at? Of course, I'm not going to find the damn chart here. It's the hardest. Again, thing going back to, he might have been just a little bit underrated, Gordon, because I don't think he was. Yeah, well, I bet, I bet people. Let's see, Bohemian, which well, of course I'm going to have the hardest word to possibly spell. <laughs> okay, let's see. Mohamed on that day was. I'm pretty sure you're right. Now that I think about it, Mohamed on the Florida Derby. Yep, he was odds on. He was he was six to five. I mean, he was a uh, four to five. Yeah. So again, wow. people thought shipping him from California, and um, but. He won. Yeah, but boy, Bohemian was undefeated too. He had won the Fountain of Youth. He had won the Holy Bull. So I can see how how they can make that. A hundred percent. Yeah, and you're going into somebody's home track where we were shipping in. Um, yeah. But no, it was um, it was a fun horse to be around. Nightcrest, and again, the Redhams made it enjoyable as well. They accommodated to the whole staff, and it it makes it easier when you you work for owners like the Redhams that. You know they allow the staff to enjoy it as well as as well as they do, um, and the success and the brand that they've built, the Redham Stable, it's pretty incredible as well. Between between the Doug and the Redhams, they've had a lot of success together. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, and and um, I actually bet I bet a Redham horse the other day. T- today's flavor, the one they sent to uh, to George Weaver. I like that horse. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a New York bred, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Jack, before I want to talk a little bit about some of the horses that you've had on your own as well. Um, but before we get there, the, the, the TVG internship thing, at what point, where did that happen in the, in the run so of things? That was kind of in between the whole pod and summer school and through Jill Byrne. Um, I don't know if Gary, I don't know if Gary was doing a little bit with TVG, but because I knew Pat Byrne, who was married at the time to Jill, she was working for TVG and I just wanted to gain as much experience as possible and meet as many people as possible and um, Tony Elevado at the time was um, you know the head of TVG and I actually saw Tony the other night and we laughed about quite a few things and Tony put me in some positions to embarrass me which he probably still does today but uh, we look back and laugh and it was it was a fun little stint and, you know, even like going to the, you know, the production truck and seeing all this stuff happening, TVs and buttons and it's like flying 
like aeroplanes, all these guys trying to produce a TV show. I'm like, God, that's one thing I do not want to do. I learned quick what I didn't want to do, and that was a TV production guy. Like, that's too complicated for me. So the TVG stint was fun during the time of um, briefly during Louisville. I, I, I watched it the other day in, in the highlight of it. And I died laughing that you, you asked Baffert, what did you, something about you finally brought some horses over here that can win. So, so Tony would literally hand me these set of questions right before um, the person I was going to interview. And he wouldn't tell me who I was going to interview either. So me just being young, didn't have a clue really. The American side of racing that, you know, I knew who Bob Baffert was. Did I know how successful he was? Absolutely not until I went to the barn and saw the list of horses and races that he's won. I'm like, oh, this guy must be pretty good. And I think the first question was something like, how do you dye your hair? Or what do you do to make your hair look like that? I'm like, God, Tony, I can't ask this. And he's like, you better ask this. And you could see you can see the microphone just shake. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was fun. Um, just something humorous that Tony, you know, wanted to, to try. And we, we got, I'd go around Louisville and people say, oh, that, the 10 pound apprentice. Um, it was, it was fun little um, stint that he did. True Timber, uh, which is a fun one we've had some fun with on the show because you know, it's, it's, it's Kendrick has that little piece about his favorite race. And, and, uh, I, look, I, when he, when he won, I didn't know that he had never won a grade one. I didn't know that that was his first. I just thought, I didn't think he had had a lot of grade ones. I didn't know that it was his first, uh, talk a little bit about true timber. Well, he came to, to my barn after Kieran retired in such good shape that, um, I was more so nervous not to get in true timbers where um, he was a horse to train himself. And um, Connor Quish was an Irish guy that um, used to work for the Gallop to him every day that um, the horse never missed a beat. And you read about the success that Kieran McLaughlin had. Yeah, like, there was some sort of... I don't know really how to explain it, Jonathan, that uh, there was a lot of nerves built into getting true timber because owned by Calumet, coming from such a successful trainer, I could only mess it up. So I'm sitting at night, how do I not mess this up? And I just said, you know what? Just don't let get in true timber's way and we let true timber train himself. And, you know, he'd had su somewhat success in the cigar mile from previous years, wasn't able to win it, but we kind of mapped out, you know, if we can get him to the cigar mile in good shape, he could potentially win it. And it all kind of worked out. Um, we prepped him at Keeneland in the, I forget what, it was a seven the inch Lafayette. Either Lafayette, yeah. And he was he second or third in that race? I can't really remember. Second, second beating the length. Yeah, um, Jose Lescano rode him that day and he wanted to ride him in the Cigar Mile, but I think he had one of the favorites for Kelly Breen or something that he couldn't take off. And that horse ended up not running, but 
I was looking at the form. I said, well, Kendrick has got along great with True Timber. You know, let's put Kendrick on. I'd never met Kendrick before. You know, if Kendrick walked up to me at the time and said, hey, I'm Kendrick, I wouldn't have had a clue who he was. So, Jonathan, I don't tell jockeys what to do because I'm not a jockey. I'll only mess it up. These jockeys come out there and they have a plan in mind and I want them to, to feel comfortable with their plan. And it was during COVID, so, <clears throat> excuse me, I couldn't make it up when I was at Gulfstream. We had a horse run in one of the Claim and Crown races and we were just second or third to Jesus's team, that good horse. Um, and I thought, you know, if we were good second or third, and I went to the, to the yard house, you know, the yeah, yeah. restaurant outside the paddock. I was like, well, if I'm going to get in traffic, um, stuck in traffic, driving back to Palm Meadows, I was starving at the time. I hadn't ate all day. I said, let, let me go to the yard house and get some food, and I'll kind of be that time I can watch the Cigar Mile and jump in the car and drive back. So I ordered some food, and I was like, oh, let me text Kendrick's agent at the time for Kendrick's number and just wish him good luck. I never talked to her. I don't know what was I supposed to say to him. Yeah. He knew the horse. And say, hey, Kendrick, this is Jack Sisterson. Thanks for riding True Timber. Good luck. He already texted me back. He texted me back. I got you, bro, with a peace sign emoji and a crocodile. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, well, I didn't know what to take of it. What do I text back a crocodile back? What's a crocodile? I'm like, I didn't have a clue. And I'm like, speech is like, what is this for peace sign crocodiles? Like, well, he's got me at least. And true enough, he, he won. And I was sitting at the yard house and I think I can't remember what I was eating, but that ended up on the floor. And we had Bon Razan run as well, and he didn't run quite well. But um, seconds later, I get a FaceTime. It's Kendrick. And he FaceTime. I'd never met him before. And he FaceTimed me with a peace sign up. He said, I got you, bro. I was like, Kendrick, I love you. <laughs> and to this day, we, every time I seen him, you know, early in the morning, if he's breezing one at Oklahoma and going by, he, he puts a peace sign up and said, I got you, bro. Um, that's a little funny story that that just goes to show you that you know how good these jockeys are. He knew exactly what to how to ride true timber. And um, if I would have texted him, Hey Kendrick, you know, break, take back, or hey, break, do this, do that, I'd only have messed it up. So I left the peace sign and the crocodile emoji to, to do their own thing, and they got it done. I did not, I didn't know that it was his first grade one either. So it was, it was quite sentimental for him, and um. You know, unfortunately, I couldn't make the trip up, but um, I was, you know, had a bit of fun in the yard house celebrating, watching the win. Oh, that's awesome. That's so funny. Yes, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about, too. The the peace sign and the, and the alligator. I know. Uh, I was like, what is that? Now it's a peace <laughs> sign. I could get put, put an alligator on the end. So kind of girls like, oh, he's from Louisiana. That makes a bit of sense now. <laughs> uh vexatious uh i mean you weren't a huge price 
but it's, it was a huge upset. I, I mean, I don't think anyone thought Vexatious was going to beat uh, Midnight Bisu that day. Were, were you were you optimistic or, or surprised? We were optimistic. It's probably Jonathan the best horse I've trained on my own. Um, she was such a fast horse that could carry speed over distance of ground. Um, we probably, when I got her, obviously, off knee, she came in great shape and, you know, she was going that mile and a quarter, maybe it's a mile and a half on the grass and we breezed her one day on the dirt and she went 47 and change. The rider sitting against her the whole way, which would lead to tell you she could have gone a lot quicker on the dirt. She galloped out, usually those grass holes, so they can travel over a half a mile in the dirt once you ask them to quick and they kind of fall apart. She hit the wire running and we could not pull her up. And I remember asking the farm, hey, I know this horse, she ran well, you know, several years ago on the dirt, she ran in the Oaks, blah, blah, blah. But can I try on the dirt again? In the farm, obviously, they like dirt horses and said, absolutely. So we looked at a dirt race and she was training so well. Marco Dwyer at the time was galloping and she, she could be tough to gallop. She, she'd have to go straight. You couldn't back her up. She'd have to go straight off with her. And we looked at the summer colony for horses that I think hadn't won a graded stake of. I forget the condition of the race. And this is perfect. You know, we, she was training well. We thought we could, if she translated her morning work to the afternoon, we thought she could run very well. Fast forward to the afternoon, we're turning for home. I thought, oh, God, finally, I've done something right. I've put a filly in the dirt that can win. I thought it was a matter of how far she was going to win by, only to be run down by Blue Prize that went on to win the distaff that year for Ignacio. And looking back, we thought, well, you know, she ran well on the dirt. Let's kind of try and map out a, a dirt campaign the following year. Oh, I think we sent her to Oaklone for an allowance mm-hmm. race to start a career. And Latruska, let me look at, I, I want to say there's a couple of older mares in that allowance race that went on to, to be more than an allowance type of horse. Right. But we were just getting that as a stepping stone to potentially bigger and better things. And when she was second to Monimoy Girl in the Ruffian at Belmont, um, we thought, you know, she ran well. I think she ran maybe a hundred something buyer. It was a career top buyer for her. It was coming back in three weeks, which typically we wouldn't do, but the personal income was coming back in three weeks. We shipped up to Saratoga and that's a filly that would turn literally inside out. Once she got to Saratoga, she'd dapple out, she'd eat. She was at the front of her saw. She was a happy filly and we were optimistic going into the person instant that she'd run well, potentially hit the board in a grade one to hand, to, you know, enhance her value as a broodmare for the farm. And, you know, turn her for home, it probably when midnight still loomed up and engaged with her. She was such a hardy filly. It's a bit like Lixitoni. When you headed her, she'd fight. And if, but if, you know, if Santana would have probably went on by and opened up two or three lengths, she probably wouldn't have had a shot, but when he engaged her, that's when I thought, you know what, 
I don't think she's going to pass it because that's how she trained when somebody latched onto her. There was no passing her. So we were optimistic going into the race. At the top of the stretch, when Midnight Pursue kind of engaged, we were, put it this way, we were more optimistic that she, she was going to hit the board and possibly in them more than, oh, but what a sweat that there was an inquiry after the race. And I was mm. like, oh no, surely not. And the longer it goes on, you know, you typically, you know, what happens. And I said to the guys, you know, if we come down, how cool would it be to finish second in a grade one at Saratoga? And we all kind of smiled to ourselves that that would be pretty cool. And then the inquiry sign went down and we won. And um, that was even cooler. That was, that was, that was almost a, uh, it was, I mean, it was a great day. I, I, I'm still no matter what, but it was almost a really good day. Um, Lexitonian ran second across the, across the country at Del Mar and the Bing Crosby. And then eventually Lexitonian came back and won a grade one here in the Vanderbilt at 34 to one for you. Yeah. You know, he was scheduled to run the Vanderbilt the week before Vexatious ran, but it was scratching the gate. And he was ready to run a good race. Would he have beat, I think, Volatile that year? Probably yeah. not. But he was training so well that, you know, he kind of sat down in the gate. You, you know how the rules are that they do what's best for the horse. So they scratched him at the gate. I panicked. You know, we had the vet go back to the barn. He was 100% sound. We got the okay to breeze him the following morning at Saratoga and with no race in mind, Jonathan. So what are we going to I call Andrew Burns in the race and after the stakes? Is there anything at Saratoga that we can run in? Sorry, Jack, we, there's nothing. Like, oh, I called the farm, there's nothing. And, but there is a race at Saratoga, uh, uh, Delmar a week later, the Bing Crosby. Like, how's he supposed to? He just shipped up to Saratoga. He just worked, he was scratched. We had to ship him back down to Keeneland. The morning after he breezed, he literally spent 10 minutes in his stall. We let him, put him on a van across the road to the airport, flew to Del Mar, all within a 48-hour time period. And he ran a really credible race in the, the Bing Crosby just to get Vida, you know, probably ahead. Um, and you, you look forward the next year and he comes back and wins a Vanderbilt. So he was a cool little horse to be around. A little inconsistent, but on his day, he could compete with the best of them where, where do you think that inconsistency came from was it a mind thing was it a was it a what, what do you think his in where do you think the inconsistency came yeah he was a horse of, if he kind of broke and he didn't kind of break in the bing crosby um i think if he broke running and he was put in the race like the vanderbilt when jose rode him down the rail and engaged him early he would fight and if you look at most of his you know, career wins, the rider's aggressive out the gate with him and he responds to it. He's a horse that, you know, doesn't really travel and on the bridle, but he would give you 110%. And if you didn't really break, you kind of lose a bit of interest. Um, you know, he, he, when he beat, he won a listed race at Laurel and he beat Mind Control that was a big heavy favorite that day. I think he was a grade one of mind control at the time. I was coming out with some good grade one horses, but he was engaged the whole way down on the rail and he should be backing out of those situations, but he went forward in those situations. So 
he really thrived off pressure Lexitonia and and I think we're getting pretty good reports from Lane's end. Uh, you know, potentially his foals are, you know, pretty precocious and fast looking. So it'd be cool to to get a couple of those to train in the near future. Jack, you know, what's what's kind of next for you? What what do you see the next year? Are you gonna are you gonna spend some more time in New York? Or are you gonna kind of be more of a Kentucky guy? Is there some California in your future? Some Florida? What where do you see kind of the next year? What what's what's your schedule looking like? Definitely Florida for the winter. I think the horses kind of winter well down there. Um, you know, we'll probably hang around Saratoga until probably middle of October-ish, and we'll let the horses decide where they want to run after that. You know, if there's one or two want to go down to Kentucky, we, we'll send them down. But it, this is our first year been in Saratoga for a longer period of time, and I cannot say enough good things about Saratoga and um Bar the expensive New York, but that's what you got to offset to to put the horses in such a happy place that they really have thrived coming up here to to New York, and um, you know we'll we'll spend as much time up here as possible, and gradually gradually make our way down south towards the end of the year. How many do you have in training right now? We've twenty one at the moment. Um, you know we'd like to pick up a couple of more as we go down for the winter and. We're always looking, you know, at the European results and um, trying to buy some European horses to, to bring over um, to run on the grass. So, you know, we've a great little barn at the moment. Um, you know, we're, we're always looking to add more, but at the same time, I'm happy with the number we're at at the moment to, to be successful. Do you, do you find a lot of, I mean, because, you know, it sounds like obviously you are looking to, to, to buy kind of ready-made horses. So I would imagine that, you know, part of your, your, your job or your, you know, your focus is, is like almost on being an agent to a certain extent as well, you know, getting things done and, and getting deals done. And then, and then, you know, you just, you skip the step of trying to assign them to a trainer. You get to train them yourself. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully we've, we've owners behind us that would support us if we find a nice European horse that they will buy them, but it's constantly, you know, looking at results and watching replays and, you know, surrounding yourself again, that I don't do most of that work, you know, Alex Elliott, a good friend of mine back in England, you know, he lives there and he's lived in America. So he knows the type of horse that works well for America. Uh, we've bought horse of Justin Cassie. I'm friendly with Joseph O'Brien that you, as you grow and try and build relationships, you, you, surround yourself again with people that can help your career and you know those guys have helped me try and scout out the horses that have done well here and we've we've had a couple of Europeans that have come over and done well and I think we've got a couple more yet to run at Saratoga we've got a couple next week that will run first time in the country that I think they'll run well and you know look for bigger and better things and just allowance races after they run at Saratoga. And like, look, I mean, I'm, don't give away the story here, but like in a simple, in a simple couple of sentences, like what do you, what do you feel like when you look at a European horse, what, what are some of the, the kind of base attributes that you look for that you think, okay, th this is a horse that can, can handle American racing? The f two things, they've got to have speed and got to have a good mind. You know, it's probably more so they, they have to have a good mind because it's such a different style of training here in America. Um, you saw the training in yards in the countryside back home and it's a more, lot more of a laid back atmosphere where 
you know, it's a lot quicker environment here. So you mentally have to be able to withstand the, the fast pace of the, the training style. And to go with that, you have to have speed. And if you don't have speed, you know, you see those longer type of distance races back in Europe that they, they go so slow, there's mile and a half types and, you know, the, the big galloping, you know, tracks and those type of horses tend to not work out in America. So we typically look for those seven furlong to milers that have speed, that jump, they travel. Because you come to America, you break and it, you're gone. You have to get positioned and... um you know, those tight turns and you don't want to break and be 20 lengths less. So those are the two things, a good mind and you have to have speed. Yeah, it's funny. I never thought about the mind thing. I was like, I, the, if someone asked me, like some random person asked me, what do I, what would I think? I would have, oh, athleticism, athleticism. But to handle the turns because there's so much more straight running over there. But that that's, you know, being around in the morning and seeing, uh, seeing, these it's it it can be hectic you know it's as calm as it is here at saratoga it can still be hectic there's golf carts running oh. around there's people everywhere there's barns here there's barns there there's horses crossing each other it, it is it is a little bit more hectic and even so johnson bef- before the race as well that you go from the receiving barn walk through all those picnic tables where all those fans are having so much fun and it's loud. And if you don't have a good mind to be able to withstand all of that, you've run your race before the race. Um, yeah. I suppose it's like a professional athlete. You know, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you run out in front of 100,000 people and you crumble under pressure, um, your tendency are, is you're probably going to play a bad game. Jack, I'm sure you never, I'm sure you never crumbled under the pressure uh, <laughs> out, there on the, out there on the pitch. That's the reason why I'm not a professional athlete. I crumbled all the time. <laughs> who, who, who do you, who's, your, who's your club? Who do you root for? Uh, I'm diehard Sunderland, uh, which a lot of people might not have heard. They used to be in the Premier League years ago and we got relegated. And um, we're trying to make our way back up. But um, do we see in the foreseeable future? Potentially, but... They probably they've got too many players that crumble under pressure. Let's put it that way. <laughs> they don't have the mind for it. So how does that work? If you're a, if you're a Sunderland fan, like how do you do you do you? I mean, do you root for anyone in the Premier League, or do you kind of like have to hate everyone else? How does it work as a Sunderland fan? We cry a lot because we lose a lot. <laughs> um, no, we we're big uh, rivals of Newcastle United. So we just root for Newcastle United to get beat. Anyone okay. else can win, but Newcastle. And you know, it's funny, my younger brother, 10 years younger, he loves coming to America. He works for Newcastle United. So for him to, you know, he's quite friendly with the players and things like that. He's in the marketing department. And, you know, when he has to go and watch the games, he'll text me, you know, it's the middle of training hours. He, he's like, hopefully they don't win. And blah, but he's... <laughs> You can't be saying that. That's, you know, your bread and butter there. He's like, I know, but we can't have these winning. So, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, as a Sunderland fan, we, we root for Newcastle to get beat in the Premier League and anyone else can win. That's funny. Jack, I, I uh, appreciate you taking the time. I know you got, uh, you probably got some, 
some some sales stuff to clean up and some horses to train and uh, all kinds of other stuff. So I'll let you get back to it. But I appreciate you taking the time. It was a lot of fun. No, uh, likewise. That's really cool chatting with you. All right, we'll talk soon. See you, Jonathan. Take care. I mean, I, I got to say that the one thing that stands out the most is peace sign alligator. Peace sign uh, alligator text from, from Kendrick, which is funny. I didn't know he was going to tell that story. I didn't know that story. But I can also look through my phone and see some messages from Kendrick. And they are peace sign alligator. Uh, uh, hilarious. It's so much fun to, to, to see Kendrick. In those, in those, uh, in that piece we run on on Fox Sports with him getting his first Grade One win and, and how excited he was and and uh, it's 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 one of my favorite parts of this game is is um, there's so much and I don't want to say disappointment in a bad way but there is you you, you know you, you're going to lose more than you win in racing it's just inevitable but it makes the wins that much more special um, a ton of fun catching up with Jack I had no idea that he was a collegiate soccer player until, until today. Um, and the West side rental story. I mean, that cracks me up. I, I thought maybe he got hooked up with Doug O'Neill. I had no idea that, uh, that it was a, uh, it was good advertising by Mark Verge and the team out at West side rentals. Uh, they helped, uh, they helped him find a place and a career. Um, I want to thank uh, Qatar racing, Sheikh Fahad and their support uh, ever. So mischievous congratulations to that winner. Um, and uh, looking forward to seeing what else they unveil here at uh, at uh, at Saratoga. Um, they own uh, you. You almost had me in partnership with with our friends at Black Type Thoroughbreds in, in Swinbank Stables. Uh, she had her comeback race at Ellis. Um, she didn't break particularly well. She ran on well, and I think even leading into that race, the expectation was she might need a race. Uh, that kind of run back into form. So looking forward to seeing her next start as well. Uh, make sure you follow, comment, retweet, share. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the In The Money feed on wherever you get your podcast, as well as the JK Plus One feed. Um, and we will appreciate you for doing so. And uh, until next week, we've got three weeks left of Saratoga. So we better, we better get on our horse, try to get some more people on here. If you have any suggestions or ideas, people you want to hear, make sure you tweet at, uh, at, uh, at UT Big Hair. Uh, I want to thank everyone at In The Money Media, Drew. Uh, Spencer had his 200th show on Redboard Rewind, Redboard Rewind, which is not easy to say. So congratulations to him, Maggie, Acacia, Billy, Michelle, Maddie Ice, and the rest of the folks at In The Money Media. Thanks to PTF. And thanks to you for listening and supporting. We'll see you next week. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Now you'd be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk.